The podcast of this local government meeting is brought to you by Michigan Radio. For more coverage of local government meetings and to find out how you can support this service, go to michiganradio.org.
people are watching. I think it was actually in the winter, yeah. um, just as something that I think could be added as a standing item on our agenda, um, just to have a discussion about. Um, you can go ahead and. Thanks. Okay. So it's basically just like, I want to just, we probably know a lot of this as a group already. Okay. Awesome. Thank, Thank you. you. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. We probably know a lot of the, about this already, but I just wanted to kind of put it in perspective for what we do here uh, on the ECC in Kalamazoo. So large scale, what we know about food and how it interacts with the environment is, of course, that food systems have a really huge impact on climate change and vice versa. Um, so these are going to impact each other. I have some stats there that aren't strictly important, um, but basically the takeaway is that food systems account for a huge chunk of our global emissions. So in any climate aware city um, or community in general, and looking at the way that we consume and uh, process food is really important. Um, and also that food systems impact biodiversity loss and can also um, actually help reverse biodiversity loss if we kind of do it in the right way. So on a more city level, um, the way that cities access food and the way that we consume it basically just has a huge impact on the food system itself, and then that food system change can have a huge impact on environmental factors. Um, just bringing it back down to more of a community level. Um, urban agriculture and community gardens is something that a lot of like community groups and committees focus on. And it's important to know, I guess, for the purpose of what we're doing here, that they don't substantially reduce actual emissions. So what they do is they um, foster that food awareness and the food waste awareness, and um, they create green spaces and help to reduce food waste within communities. So they're a really good thing to kind of invest in and um, keep the momentum going um, in those projects within cities. Um, also, just addressing diet. I mean, I know we're hearing probably a lot about this as um, IPCC reports continue to come out, um, especially with agri agricultural and livestock impacts and things on the diet change can make a huge difference. Um, so kind of implementing some awareness projects could be helpful there. Um, and also food waste management, which we're already working on. Um, I know, Sharon, you've spearheaded a lot of that um, food waste discussion. Um, so all of that can make meaningful environmental change. So as far as Kalamazoo goes, um, interestingly, a group of MSU graduate students did a thesis project. Um, and it was basically, a, they helped draft the City of Kalamazoo Climate Action Plan in 2019. Um, and so one of their six major areas of concern was local food production. And it actually ended up being one of two of their focus areas. And because Kalamazoo has a really good um, potential for local food production, and we already have a lot of stuff taken when it comes to that. So it is important to know, too, like on a social 
level, that Kalamazoo you has a food security concern. A lot of people in the community struggle with access. I mean, like everywhere, we have that problem in our community as well. Um, but we do have a lot of food initiatives. So we have KBCC's Valley Hub, which you're probably familiar with. Um, Bronson Health is partnered with Valley Hub. So they do a lot of um, produce from KBCC's farm project in their food courts and things. Um, so uh, the Zoo City Farm and Food Network and Common Ground and the People's Food Co-op and Fair Food Matters. There are tons of them springing up. There are tons of community gardens springing up. A lot of people, it's kind of starting to become more of an individual, independent concern um, for people in the community. I have a neighbor who just turned their private lot into a community garden, which is really awesome, over on Edison, in Edison. Um, you can go ahead. I think that, like, it's a lot of kind of general information. I just wanted to provide some background on why I think this is important to us um, and how it kind of, like, webs out into the global picture. Um, but as far as action steps, things that we can do, I think advocating um, for the initiatives of local food initiatives, so keeping up to date on their efforts and the types of things that they find important would be good, um, especially when it comes to encouraging local food programs. And especially also the, the conversion of unused brown lots to food production is something I'm really passionate about. And I know it's uh, a lot of times a logistical nightmare, but I think that kind of, uh, Encouraging projects like that to thrive in our community would, would help a lot with green space and biodiversity. And then, of course, like access to food. Um, we can also maybe play a part, at least, even if it's just kind of touching base in our meetings, um, which are public. Uh, we can play a role in kind of helping the awareness about plant based diets, about local food initiatives that are happening, um, opportunities for growth in that area. And then, of course, just continuing to advise on the sustainability plan, the types of things we're already doing, um, especially when it comes to goal nine. Um, and there is a really substantial um, amount of information in that plan about local food systems and how Kalamazoo wants to support those. So kind of just finding a way to get in on some of that. And that's basically it. I really just, when we talked about this before, I was asked to kind of come back to the table with a little bit better idea of what it would look like for us to be getting our hands into um, local food production and just like the idea of local our local food system. And so this is what I think it might look like. I think having it on the agenda just as a standing item, I'm happy to kind of spearhead that and take the lead on it. I think it would be a really good thing for our community. Question. Yeah, we can. What, uh, what do you know about lo uh, local community gardens? What, like, how many are there? Where are they? What, wh what does that look like in, in town? Like, how successful are they? I'm sure there are some that are more successful than others. Yeah, and it's, I think that, and I'm also not like the and all authority on this. So Sharon, I know you have a lot of knowledge. I know some, but there's a lot more that I don't know too. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there are a ton and there, it's interesting because if you do a search, I mean, there are more well-known ones, but there's also like the one that my neighbor has, which is now online as the Edison, I think the Edison Community Garden. Um, but they're oftentimes right now, at least, I know that Jackie Mitchell, um, who's a, who works at ISK is how I know her, but she's been working on one. Um, I'm not exactly sure, Sharon. Do you know where that one is? 
Uh, I would. I think that's in Edison as well. I can't remember where exactly. Yeah, I think a little north. Um, but she was saying she's also trying to kind of create a storefront where that produce can be sold. Um, so for the a most storefront, like a stand in, like it, like there at that property, or like I think she has a building. I she does have a building. I forget all of the cool things she's doing, but a lot yeah. of cool things. <laughs> yes, lots of cool things. But for the most part, I'd say it's very much on an individual level. Um, people using like their own funding and their own kind of like entrepreneur entrepreneurial um, motivation to get those things done for their community. And um, I think Building Box has helped funding with some of them. I think they might be the ones in charge of the Oak Street one and the Vine. Um, there's one at Mothers of Hope on the north side. Um, one of the Earth Day events is helping revive that one for the spring, uh, cleaning up stuff. Um, this Friday, um, and then yeah, Common Ground I think is a good one that connects multiple uh, community gardens. So I'm not sure which ones mm -hmm. are all involved in that too. Yeah. And then do, is there like a general trend for what where that produce goes? Is it being sold? Is it being donated? Um, I know for like the Oak Street one, they when they have excess, they'll just leave it out in the box so people can have that. Um, I've seen some things there sometimes. Um, I think. Similar, but probably a lot of the people that are helping with it specifically. Um, but there's one downtown in central near Arcadia Park too. I think that there's a similar little basket on the outside. Um, so lots of different ones. Um, I think uh, Mother's Hope has different kid groups that they bring through, and yeah, uh, lots of different models. Some I know are set up too, where the participants, like people who come and volunteer, are kind of the ones, for the most part, who take the produce home. Yeah. And when there's extra, then that's kind of when they put the. And I mean, community gardens that you are, are like most of them that you've seen in town. Are they mostly just like one lot, or are they like bigger than that? The ones I've seen are mostly like one lot. Different sizes. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, there's a hope one is like a bunch of it's uh, garden boxes and it's, it's uh -huh. a big, like bigger than this table for um, the length of it probably, mm -hmm. um, and it's like kind of a U shape. Yeah. Is it usually up to like I mean if you notice there's volunteers but they're usually like one person that kind of like gets one started up and is kind of responsible and, and takes charge of it. Or so that one was a combination of two different groups uh -huh. uh, to get that started. That one started last year. That. Yeah, I think that for the most part it is like the one. It's been interesting watching the one unfold at my neighbor's house because they're basically just using their own resources and building it up from scratch. And this last year they didn't have as many volunteers, and this year I'm, no, I'm noticing people stopping as they're walking by and having conversations with them. And but I think it's, I mean, of course it's awesome too because it connects community members within their school or their um, then there's like there's community gardens, but then there's also people that just like have large vegetable gardens. That, okay, those are like right. technically separate things. But Definitely. Kind of towards the same goal. Yeah. And it looks. I mean, I guess now. I mean, the one behind me is sort of like both. Like they they have it in their yard, but it is they have a sign up saying community gardens. Right, yeah. They would they like to have volunteers there helping. And, there's one where the Oak Street Market used to be. Um, Oak Street um, Community Garden is just off of Oak Street. I don't know what used to be there, but it's uh, yeah, an Oak empty Street lot. Yeah. <laughs> so, that way for a few years at least. Okay. So. Yeah. Are there like health concerns with like COVID and sharing produce? 
for the most part. All outdoors anyways, and then yeah. produce itself can be. That's one of the reasons why the <clears throat> farmer's market's even really coming back. Yeah, but I think that even bigger than community gardens is just having our eye um, on the way that local food is is brought in even, or like if we can encourage more local food and more growth, like more people growing their own food and using lots that would otherwise be grass or brown lots um, as food production. Um, lots of projections as far as like what we need to do to help mitigate the effects of climate change have local food production and personal growth of food as like sort of So I know that there's a lovely website that teachers are using for educational materials for kids and stuff. Would an audit of that website maybe like ideas for how, because it does seem like nowadays people want to do it, but there is this aspect of how. So any type of just, you know, hey, just take a shoebox and open it. Just some ways to be able to start in some direction and move forward. Is that an idea that seems applicable at all? Or? I'm personally following oh, okay. some videos on like TikTok uh, that, that are. Sorry, that was not the response for TikTok. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm starting one in my front yard like right now, and um, I learned how to get a $30 bed uh, based off of the proper wood because I was concerned about making sure it's the right kind and everything. So I have no experience with this. So there's a lot of resources out there. I, I mean, if you're saying we should uh, organize those into a format that's easier for the community, that sounds awesome. Anything like that, just because, again, to that point, I know people who would want to, but they wouldn't want to go to those depths of... Watching a one-minute video? <laughs> <laughs> With a lot of people nowadays, that's too much. So just any, just, uh, just only an idea to help yeah. the discussion and dialogue take root. <laughs> like, uh, pun included, I guess. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. There's one more thing I'll note that I, there's a new app called Farmish that exactly. just started, um, just went live a couple weeks ago, I think, and it helps anyone that's growing food in their front yard that they have excess, they can um, give, they can offer it to the community either free or they can. Um, ask for money for it, and that's a way to connect locally. Um, so that's just started, and it's already got thousands of downloads and stuff. So. Just farm-ish? Yeah, farm-ish. And it was started by a woman in Michigan, as far as I'm aware. So. Yeah, and the people who, I mean, the Urban Food Alliance and some, you know, organizations around the city, just like we do with the, um, the Watership Council and all sorts of different groups, like, I think just keeping an eye on what they're keeping an eye on and like what they're investing their time into and seeing how we can support with that. Because there are people who are already like, you know, really like shoulder deep in all of this. And so just keeping the pulse on it, I think, is also just a valuable thing to do. All right, Gail, you want to talk, talk to us about. Uh, your kind of campaign here uh, for Kalamazoo to join the Urban Bird Treaty. Yeah, my, uh, my new full-time job. Uh, and uh, well, I'm just going to pull up my little PowerPoint. Right there. there we go. Um, so I'll, I'll just share some background of why uh, I'm motivated to do this. And, and
why I think it's important, but um, you know, many of you have probably heard about the um, research that has shown that we have lost three billion birds in the world um, in my lifetime, since I was in high school. Um, that there's significantly, there's a third of the birds that used to be here that are no longer here. Okay. Um, so, you know, birds provide a lot of ecosystem services. Birds are really important. They um, can help with habitat regeneration because they eat seeds and then they leave them other places. So places that have had wildfires and, and need their habitat um, restarted, birds are, are very good at doing that. They consume a lot of insect pests that would otherwise um, infect crops, forests, people like malaria, triple E, um, you know, other devastating types of diseases. Next. So, um, so we've lost as many birds since 1970. And this is a report that came out in Science. Uh, and uh, it is, uh, the reference is on there. Not that you can read it, it's too small. Next. So, um, so one in four birds you know, are, have, have disappeared, next, 1970. So not all groups of birds have been affected equally. So we know that some of the birds that have been hit the hardest with losses are birds of the boreal forest. And so we've lost about a third of those species. So that means, and, and specifically for one species, evening grosbeaks, we've lost nine out of 10 evening grosbeaks. So it's really rare to see those these days. Go ahead. Um, Eastern forest birds are another population that have been in, in quite severe decline. Wood thrushes, I don't know if any of you have had the pleasure of hearing wood thrushes. It's one of the most beautiful songbirds, both what they look like and what they sound like that you could ever hope to hear. And it's really hard to hear them these days. We've lost six out of 10 wood thrushes. Is, is that from loss of habitat? It's, it's multifactorial. It's, it's a lot of different things. Go ahead. And I'll get to that. Awesome. Uh, so grassland birds is another um, group of birds that have had tremendous um, losses. Eastern meadowlarks, we've lost 75% of eastern meadowlarks. Um, another bird that has a really iconic um, song that you don't hear hardly anymore. So more than 50% of those birds are gone. Go ahead. Um, aerial insectivores is another group that have been hit really hard. So these are like swallows, um, swifts, you know, birds that eat insects on the fly that help consume mosquitoes and all those other annoying pests. So they've had a big population decline as well. Go ahead. And um, shorebirds. We've lost an awful lot of shorebirds. Um, a third of our shorebirds have disappeared since the 70s. Go ahead. And, um, and so this information has been gathered over many years and decades of um, things like Christmas bird counts, um, you know, various other citizen science counts, counts that Cornell, bird of, Cornell Lab of Ornithology has conducted. And you can actually identify birds in migration on radar. And so this has also been noted on radar that there's a lot fewer birds in migration, 14% um, lower now than it was just 10 years ago. So, you know, they've been noted in a lot of different ways. Go ahead. 
Um, and it's not just in the U.S. or Canada, um, which is where some of these um, previous numbers have come from, but it's, it's all over. You know, we see decreases in Europe and Africa and Asia, um, so it's worldwide problem. Go ahead. Um, India, we can just sort of flip through these really quick. Um, bird declines around the world, um, Africa, Australia, Central America. So what? You know, I, I've, I've talked to people about birds, and they're like, "There's still a lot of birds. Like, what's the big, what's the big deal? You know, there's still billions of birds around." So I'm like, "It's a big deal." So why, why should we care about birds? Like, what can we do? Why do we care? So we know that we've got good bird habitat. It's also good people habitat. It supports clean water. Supports healthy habitat for um, all of us, all, all the species. Um, they support your health, um, being exposed to nature, um, increases your physical health, and, as well as your mental and emotional health. Um, it increases your, your IQ and your test-taking ability, decreases um, hospitalization times and recovery from health um, concerns. Uh, go ahead. Um, birds are good for the economy. Um, we know that um, birding generates um, billions of dollars in economic impact. Um, 45 million people in the U.S. alone are bird watchers, so they, they travel to see birds. They spend money on local economies. They buy microscopes or, you know, they buy binoculars. Maybe they buy microscopes, too, but they buy, <laughs> they buy binoculars. That's what happens when you're a pathologist. Everything looks like a microscope. Um, you know, they buy spotting scopes, they buy cameras, they buy sensible shoes and dorky hats. Um, and they can benefit your beverages. So the birds that help consume insect pests that would otherwise infect crops are saving your grapes, maybe your coffee, maybe even hops. I don't know. Um, go ahead. And um, it can help your property values. You know, if you uh, live in a, a neighborhood or near a park, where you've got a lot of good bird habitat, you've got trees, you've got green spaces, your property values are going to be higher and it's gonna be a more pleasant place to live. Um, so they're really, birds have really helped us and now it is time for us to help them. Um, so what's causing these losses to Aaron's question? Okay, um, the reasons are multifactorial. There's not just one, certainly, um, habitat loss and degradation are right up there on the top of the list. Um, you know, development, urban sprawl, deforestation. Um, climate change is another big one. We know that we've lost a lot of species because of that, because of severe weather events, because of the increased environmental temperatures that are driving some birds out of their, their ranges. It's driving um, a mismatch of when um, insects are hatching because insects are now hatching earlier, uh, emerging earlier, and it's out of sync when baby birds need insects. So, you know, we've got some mismatch in um, different uh, events that happen to, to sync up birds' needs and their food supplies. Free roaming cats is another big issue. Surprisingly, cats result in more, um, it's the, the highest human-related bird mortality that we know are free-ranging cats. Um, and these are not just feral cats. These are pet cats as 
well that people went outside. And then, uh, of course, my big, um, you know, my big interest is um, is window collisions. And there's a lot of secondary impacts. Um, you know, when we lose this many birds, we we lose the biodiversity, um, we lose other species, um, we lose those ecosystem services. We've got the economic impact, the ecological imbalance that I was talking about earlier. Um, we can have increase in climate change because now if we don't have birds providing their ecosystem services, we can have more loss of forests or crops. Um, you know, we, we're going to miss taking our kids out to listen to uh, woods rush. And um, we're, we're going to be miserable. So there we go. Um, so this is just a little um, diagram uh, that uh, for U.S. and Canada that kind of shows um, kind of the range of, of relative mortality to different anthropogenic causes of bird loss. And climate change um, and habitat loss are not on here. These are just like structural or, or uh, cat-related things. Go ahead. And this, this is another... Um, uh, this other one, the first one was log transformed, and this is just actual, so you can see proportionally how serious free roaming cats can be um, on bird losses. So go ahead. But there's reasons for hope because the eagles came back, a lot of the raptors have come back after banning DDT um, in the 70s. Um, waterfowl have actually increased, and a lot of that is because of groups like Ducks Unlimited and um, duck stamps and um, habitat conservation for, for ducks um, has stabilized the waterfowl population, um, not so much for shorebirds, coastal birds, but for inland birds. Next, um, raptors, as I mentioned, have come back, and that's, and that's, again, thanks to conservation efforts to ban DDT, um, and so that has allowed a lot of our um, top predators like the, like this osprey here carrying the fish, um, eagles, hawks, peregrine falcons um, have been able to um, stabilize their populations. And so, you know, there's a number of simple actions that people can take to help the birds. Um, I think this will, if you keep going, I think each of these pops up. So we can drink bird-friendly coffee um, that is grown in areas. Um, that the coffee trees are are in the shade and it's not a clear-cut area with a coffee plantation because um, natural coffee plantations um, support a lot of bird life. That's where our birds go in the winter. Um, so a lot of our birds um, that we see here, the warblers, will go down to Central and South America, live in the coffee groves, um, if they can find some coffee groves to live in. Next. Um, community science uh, is a way, and this is how a lot of this information on the bird population losses. Um, eBird is a, a huge citizen science program that people use when they're birding, that, that they log the birds that they see when they see them, and, and this has generated a lot of data that's now available worldwide um, to understand population changes in birds. Go ahead. Um, of course, my, my big interest is reducing um, collisions to windows, um, and I know you've heard me talk about this, so we don't have to elaborate on it a lot. 
go ahead. Cats Inside programs are really great, you know, even starting with some educational programs. Uh, and um, that would make a huge difference in bird losses. Using native landscaping, um, birds rely on insects um, in order to eat themselves, but always, always to feed their young. The young have to be fed caterpillars and other insects, so even fruit-eating birds or seed-eating birds feed their young insects. And um, native landscaping is what um, supports that insect population um, for the insects that have evolved with the plants that are native to a geographic area. And bird-friendly communities, which is where which is where we come in. So this is the start of the urban bird treaty. Um, so recognizing that bird losses have occurred all over in many different environments and many different types of uh, habitat for birds. Um, you know, what can we do in the city? And what we can recognize is that um, is that we can, you know, even though it's a city environment we have a lot that we can do to help birds because as birds are migrating, they end up in the cities to refuel, to rest as they're, as they're continuing their migration and that we can create and maintain habitats that are beneficial for birds. We may not live in the boreal forest and here we may not live on the Atlantic seaboard, but there's a lot that we can do in an urban environment um, that will help birds, so go ahead. So the Urban Bird Treaty is one way of doing this. So this is a, a non-binding, um, non-regulatory partnership with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service um, between a, a, a community and the Wildlife Service. And the idea is to help alleviate bird population decline um, through community efforts. And um, go ahead. So there's three. Um, main focuses of an urban bird treaty. It's what they call three goals. One is to conserve habitat for urban birds. Two is to decrease hazards to urban birds. And three is the community engagement piece, to be able to um, educate, engage um, people in the community, especially youth, in um, learning about birds, caring about birds, and learning what they can do to, um, to, to make the world better for birds and for themselves, so go ahead. Um, so there's two components for the Urban Bird Treaty. Um, one is the city designation itself, and then the second one is a grant program. So for um, communities that have achieved Urban Bird Treaty status, they have a preferred um, standing in applying for these grants to the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. And um, you don't need to be an urban bird treaty city to be awarded a five-star grant, but it, it puts you ahead of the rest of the applicants. And these grants can be used for any number of different things. I, I don't have it with me, but I've printed out lists of some of the projects that have been funded um, in various cities over the past, and, and it's wide-ranging. Go ahead. So, um, so I just made a list of some of the different um, actions that could be taken in, uh, in a community um, or by a partner that would fit into these three different goals of the Urban Bird Treaty. Um, so the, the first goal is to protect, restore, and enhance habitat for birds. So increasing the size of parks, 
creating corridors and connectivity between green spaces, um, promoting brownfield development over natural area development. If you're going to develop something in a city, you're going to build a building, put it on a, a brownfield site, don't destroy a park to build. Um, using native trees, decreasing pesticide use, um, increasing the walkability of a city, which decreases traffic, um, decreases noise and air pollution, good for people, good for birds. Um, invasive species control, so again, kind of using native plants and decreasing um, plants like glossy buckthorn and um, invasive honeysuckle that do not have any wildlife value. Um, doing streamside restoration, the DNR, of course, is, is a big proponent of getting rid of dams and this allows uh, streams to be free-flowing and, uh, and to be able to support any of these goals, um, either through advocacy or financially. The next goal is to reduce hazards to birds. And you know, as you all know, my, my focus on bird collisions is to like, let's, let's make the city safer for birds um, and have fewer window collisions. Um, these also help to mitigate climate change. Um, if you're decreasing uh, lighting at night, that's not necessary inside a building, you know, that's just shining out. Turn off the lights, decrease your energy consumption, and makes it safer for birds. Um, uh, promote hazardous waste and medication collection. So if we've got um, stuff that's dangerous for people to go and clean up along the river, it's also not so good for birds. So let's, you know, get this kind of dangerous stuff out of there. Pick up all those masks that people that the birds get tangled up in. Um, have collection boxes for fishing line. Um, promote the use of non-leaded fishing sinkers. Um, so birds that are scavenging and picking up what they think is grit don't pick up a leaded sinker. Um, inside. Um, and, you know, and then doing kind of educational campaigns for any of these projects. Number, number three, coming up next. So engaging the community. So, you know, promoting citizen science with backyard bird counts, Christmas bird counts, feeder watch counts, um, public awareness, um, youth trips, uh, programming through the Parks and Recs Department. Um, and I can see if, if we are successful in getting um, this status, I think it would be really fun to partner with um, students, uh, art students, and have a lot of art in the community that promotes birds. I can see it in the storefronts downtown of like, you know, we love, because they do it now with the Peregrine Falcons. We have bumper stickers that's like, we love our falcons. Can have it all over downtown. You know, we love birds. And, um, you know, so I think that there's a lot of ways that the community can become in, involved and engaged. And kids will learn about, you know, this every time that there's some kind of a field trip. If it's, uh, you know, you slip some bird information into there, as well as whatever other nature programming that there is. So go ahead. What's coming next? Oh, so what's significant about birds in Kalamazoo? So there are about 330 species of birds that have been found in Kalamazoo County, um, and three, 319 of which are considered um, likely to be here. Some are just kind of accidental visitors. Um, there are 13 species that are listed as threatened, endangered, or a special concern for the, in the state of Michigan that are here in Kalamazoo County. Kleinstock Preserve in the city of Kalamazoo has the largest number of species, and it's well over 200. Next slide. Um, the Kalamazoo River Corridor, 
um, is recognized as an important bird in biodiversity area. This is an international recognition IBAs that recognize areas all around the world that are important for bird habitat. And we have four of them in Kalamazoo County. So we've got the Kalamazoo River, um, we've got um, Fort Custer Recreation Area, Fort Custer Training Area, Austin Lake, um, Upjohn Pond, and the um, Kalamazoo Nature Center Grassland. So, you know, we have some cool stuff that's here already. Next. Um, so uh, a MODIS tracking system is, um, uh, is, a, is a radio tower. Um, and so species that have been radio tagged um, can be picked up. This is, a, again, a, a worldwide um, network. And so there are three uh, MODIS receiving towers in Kalamazoo County. And so they can detect if, you know, if a bird flies by there that has been radio tagged, they can identify you know what it is, and there are birds that have been that have not been known to fly over here that have been found on the MODIS tracking system. And then eBird, um, as I mentioned before, is this um, citizen science um, free uh, app that is um, uh, run by Cornell Lab of Ornithology. And if people bird in an area enough that it generates a lot of different bird lists um, consistently, it becomes a hot spot. And um, we have 97 hotspots in Kalamazoo County, 17 of which are in the city of Kalamazoo. So that's places that people have generated enough uh, species of birds when they've been there um, that, you know, it's achieved hotspot status. For the new species that are being detected, is there research yet on whether it's they just didn't know they were here or habitat changes like and what climate change and stuff is pushing? Um, it's, I don't know the exact answer for that. A lot of it is that we didn't know it. So these are picking up birds on migration. Okay. So um, like we did not think, I'm mean, trying to think of all the different species that I've, that I've been told about because I don't, I don't think I have it written down. Um, Kirtland warblers. Mm -hmm. You know, you've all heard about Kirtland warblers and they, um, they live up uh, in the middle of the state in the Jack Pine area. And, um, and they've not been known to like fly over here. Well, they've been detected by MODIS line over Kalamazoo County. So not necessarily stopping, gotcha. but, you know, so it's helping to identify migration routes, mm -hmm. um, you know, as birds are moving around. Let's see if there's anything down here. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't put specifically what other species. I just, I remember the Kirtland sure. warblers. Um, so, um, so this is just a kind of a story map if you go into the um, Urban Bird Treaty website. Again, it's run by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. It has uh, information about a lot of the different cities that are currently urban bird treaty cities. In Michigan, Detroit and Lansing are both um, urban bird treaty cities. I thought if Detroit can do it, we can do it. Okay, next. Um, so anyway, brings us down to um, the fact that you can only do little is not an excuse for doing nothing. And next slide. My favorite, um, my favorite uh, doctors is Dr. Seuss. Uh, anyway, so just to leave you with some inspiration. But um, in order for a community to apply for the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service program, um, you have to be a community of 100,000 people. So Kalamazoo itself has 70 some thousand people. Um, so 
Kalamazoo and Portage together push us over 100,000. Certainly, the county puts us over 100,000. We can define the geographic area for the treaty however we want to. Detroit, for example, they include seven counties. It's a big area. So they've got multiple townships, and they've got the city of Kalamazoo and you know all these other different partners. So partners can be municipal and non-municipal. So um, uh, Jamie McCarthy is, um, is my contact with the city of Kalamazoo. She is going to be presenting this idea to get, get support um, from <coughs> different city um, offices, departments. And um, so she's kind of my, uh, she's my linchpin. You know, uh, we have to have the city of Kalamazoo. Um, or it's not going to go. Although I actually do think I have the county, so, but I'd really like to have the city of Kalamazoo and the city of Portage. And um, there is support and interest. Uh, I just don't have those signatures on the line yet. Um, Parchment, um, I have a signature from. Um, they were the first municipality that, that antied up. Ashtamo is on board, but, you know, they're kind of ghosting me now, too, as is the county. Um, non-municipal -par non partners. Um, we have Kalamazoo Nature Center, um, auto, the local Audubon, of course, um, the DNR, Port Custer Training Center, um, uh, the Stewards of Kleinstuck. Uh, I've got, a, I've got a, a pretty good list of, of partners. So you can have partners and, and not, you know, municipal and, and non-municipal partners. And I even have one commercial partner. Yeah. When you say signatures for consideration or application or what have you, what does that mean? Is it a city manager? Is it a mayor? Is it a city leader? Like what? You know, it, it, it varies by, it varies by municipality. Um, and I don't know how it's, I don't know what it's going to look like coming from the city of Kalamazoo. Um, for some municipalities, um, you know, they they want to get approval from their board of, you know, city commissioners. You know, other ones are the city manager is like, I'm out of this, you know. Um, and so I'm, I've got uh, an official letter of invitation that I've sent to the potential partners. And then I've sent them a template that they can fill out, put it on their letterhead to say they're supporting it. And then somebody can sign it. I don't, I don't care who signs it. The janitor can sign it. But I wanted an official signature of some sort because um, institutional, you know, knowledge changes. You know, people move on, you know. And so this is a program that, um, you know, we have some obligations once we get it. Um, people, each partner has to um, share what, goals they have accomplished since 2018 in those three goal areas, and what are their plans going forward? You know, what are they going to do for promoting habitat? What are they going to do to decrease hazards? And not all of those apply to each partner. Like, for example, uh, Audubon Society doesn't own property, but they have a long history of advocacy and financial support by offering grants for projects that are protecting property, like for example, you know, the um, acquisition of additional property in Kleinstock Preserve. You know, so they don't own that, but they were a big advocate 
for doing that. So, you know, each partner has a different way of being in the world. So not all, you know, not all goals are, are going to be applicable to each partner. Um, but there's a two-year reporting um, increment too. So if we get this status, then, um, you know, every two years I'll be tapping on the different partners to say, how do we do? You know, here's, here, here's what your goals were, you know, two years ago. You know, how are we doing? Give me an update. What's next? So, you know, so we'll have a, an ongoing um, activity, which I hope will stimulate um, the different partners. Um, one, of the, one of the goals is to get, is to provide opportunities for people to work together, to pool their resources, pool their energy, um, and, uh, you know, look at the other partners that are on here. And, and a lot of that, there's so much that has happened already in Kalamazoo, you know, with the resiliency plan, with the NFP overlay. That's a, that's a huge one. Um, and I was surprised Ashtimo actually did an NFP before we did. So, you know, we've got the climate crisis declaration. Um, you know, so we've got a lot of work that's already in motion that really is applicable for the Urban Bird Treaty. And there's already a lot of partners that are working together. For example, like the DNR is working a lot with the City of Portage uh, on activity around the state game area, you know, creating additional trails to lead from the City of Portage to the state game area. And, um, and programming, you know, breakfast with a biologist. And, you know, so, so a lot of people already have those relationships established. And this is another way just to promote that. You know, people could maybe reach out. Um, I'm also hoping to get the Kalamazoo Conservation District um, as a partner. And they work a lot with the DNR, but they might want to reach out to Audubon and say, hey, we're having this event. Could somebody from Audubon come and give a little presentation or, or do some birding? You know, or could somebody um, help with some birding activity for a program with the city parks? You know, for a youth, you know, a youth thing, uh, you know, to promote youth leaders in uh, different environmental types of roles. So anyway, there's a lot of potential to just generate um, energy going forward for this. So you know, that's kind of my motivation. Is we've got a lot of great things going on that have happened already that we've got planned in the works, and let's. <laughs> Let's capitalize on this. Let's tell people what great things we're doing and, you know, kind of stimulate people to even reach further. Melissa, do you want to turn the PowerPoint off? Um, and everybody wants to see Dr. Seuss, yeah. <laughs> the whole rest of the meeting. Um, I've got two questions. So what you said there needs to be at least 100,000 people um, to turn in an application. So what were you thinking? Were you trying to get the county and the city of Kalamazoo and the city of Portage? Yep. Were you trying to get all of the local units together? There's like 20-some units of local government within the county plus yeah. the county. Right. Were you trying to get all of those people to – all this, or just get over that 100,000 yeah, my, mark? Yeah, my – you know, one of the goals kind of certainly be in, including partners as you go forward, more partners as you go forward mm -hmm. once, once you get the status. But – you know, the essential ones are the city of Kalamazoo and city of Portage. Mm -hmm. And any of the other um, municipalities that are, of you know, that have interest. Mm -hmm. And so I've reached out to many of them, not all of them, because mm -hmm. some of them are just, you know, uh, 
a little bit too, you know, far out in the, you know, in the adjacent mm -hmm. areas. Um, you know, Ashtimo has done a lot of great stuff. They've got this Go Green Ashtimo initiative, so they're really interested. Parchment has done phenomenal stuff. And um, and they were the first, like I said, they were the first ones that just really, like, took, took a move on this. You know, I've approached um, Texas Township, you know, uh, and there's no interest. I've, been, I've approached Kalamazoo Township, mm -hmm. not much interest there. Um, Comstock, Comstock is actually interested, as is... Um, is there a fee for, for no. applying? No, there is no fee. Um, there's no fee for any of this. You know, it's just the benefit of puts you in better standing for grants, mm -hmm. and then the the only financial obligation is to um, is to do what you're going to do anyway. Right. To, and then um, just kind of report on it. And to report on it. So. At the same time, I can see that as a marketing opportunity for some hardcore. I would hope so. I mean, I think it's like a, you know, as I was talking to a number of people about this, they're like, well, this is a no-brainer. You know, it's like, why wouldn't you do it? So, um, you know, it's just trying to get all the, you know, the official buy-in. And I know people are busy and they, they have to cough up this, you know, list of accomplishments that they, they have. And then I'm writing, as I get those, I'm writing each of those up into a format mm -hmm. that can be consistent because the application itself is not like a form that you just check off. It's a, it's um. It's like a PhD thesis. Cool. By the time I'm done, it's probably going to be 80 some pages long. Hmm. But it's just free text. So, are you interested in, you know, uh, getting together some kind of draft recommendation for us to send to the city? Um, not at this time. Um, my last um, conversation with Jamie or communication with her is that she um, has an order that she feels. Uh, the best to do things in, and she will let us know when she's ready for an official recommendation from the ECC. Okay. I mean, that is certainly what I what I would like to get. I just okay. don't want to jump the gun, and she feels like she needs to introduce it to certain city departments before the ECC um, right. provides a recommendation. Okay. Well, hopefully that doesn't take too long, because that... The, the city commission set up the environmental concerns committee for us to give them recommendations on right. things, not necessarily for them to tell us what to recommend them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, so hopefully that you know that process. And I understand we you know if we want to practically get it done, that she'll need some time to you know talk to city departments. But hopefully that right. doesn't take yeah. forever. So she's trying to talk to city. My understanding is she's talking to city departments um, before it goes to the city commission. Yeah. Um, and so I just need to respect that okay. she knows what she's doing um, better than I do. Okay. I just wish she would do it faster. Yeah. Yes. When if it's going to the city commission, sorry, um, then why would we be the ones to recommend it to them first? I think so? I think we would when it gets to that point. Okay. Um, like I said, if anybody has an in with Jamie and I also just feel like this would be really nice to have maybe right before the community sustainability plan because that like supports a lot of the same thing. It does. And that can be one of those addendum or whatever they called it at the end that's like we have declared a climate emergency. We also said that we wanted to do better at recycling and that could be like we've also yeah. said this. Well I know she's been really busy with the whole resiliency plan. 
And um, so I'm. So to clarify, uh, the stuff she needs is like to compile data that you need to go into the like treaty report. Okay. Right. Well, she she needs to. I think what she needs to do first is get the go ahead from whatever city department she. Right. But I mean, is, say we get the like green light, but yeah. then that's the stuff that you need is right. the actual data. Because the thing, I mean, frankly, everything on the list, like the, the goals, most of that's already in the plan. But exactly. Most of those things in the plan are currently unfunded, and if this is an opportunity, like I'm. That's an opportunity to put money into the plan. Mm -hmm. It seems like a no-brainer. Well, that's that's what everybody says. You know, I've talked to um, you know uh, Commissioner Hask, who unfortunately is not here tonight. You know, and she's like, she's the one who says, "Why wouldn't we do this? This is our this is complete no-brainer." So you know, I think that there is a lot of um, support and um, positive, you know, thoughts about it. Um, you know, for exactly those reasons that you stated. Um, so I just. Um, I'm in a holding pattern. Right. Maybe Jim, even if, it, it seems like there's, I'm sorry, it seems like there's a clear the things that have to be done to make the bird population come back. I'm just guessing that most of these would have to be done by individual citizens and business owners more through education than having the city actually do something. Am I wrong about that? What, would, what part would the city play? Well, I, you know, or, I, the, or the treaty area play. Yeah, I think that's that's a good question, um, Jim. And, and and certainly a lot of it is up to what can an individual do, and a lot of that is education. Um, but you know what, some cities have done um, is to have a citywide declaration of lights out during migration, of like turning off um, non-essential lighting, like for commercial and business lighting, you know, in the downtown area during spring and fall migration. So that's something, you know, that a city can have a declaration of, you know, we're going to do this. Um, city, some cities could um, um, require um, registration for cats, like they do for dogs. So, you know, to have, it's like, you know, cats should not be roaming around. Um, you know, some of these things, of course, get, uh, you know, rub some people the wrong way. Um, some cities, um, you know, a, a lot of cities have instituted bird safe building design um, practices. So, uh, so mandatory um, bird safe building design for new construction and major renovation. Um, so, you know, Chicago has done it, New York City has done it, San Francisco was the first one that did it, Toronto has a big program. You know, so there are things that can be done at a municipal level um, that would really help. Um, and um, you know, there's a lot of things that are, you know, that, that come down to um, individual use. But, you know, a city could say, we're going to commit to planting, you know, X proportion of native trees and shrubs, and we're going to decrease pesticide use, you know, on city property. You know, so they, a city can make a decision about what to do, you know, in their parks and in their green spaces. Um, so, you know, it's both. And if you want to be honest about it, the city acts as what we want to see the community turn into. So if we actually want to develop the environment we want, this is how it starts. Eventually, we want to get there. We do need to start these smaller things, same with sustainable eating and, and with the deer stuff when we 
back to that to eventually get to a place yeah. where everyone has a similar <laughs> understanding. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so eventually I, I would very much like the support from the ECC and a recommendation to the City Commission. Just got to wait for Jamie to give us the, okay. give us her, like, okay, I've cleared it. I'm just waiting. Any other questions or comments? Four minutes today. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for the presentation. That's okay, great. well, thanks for your yeah. receptivity. Sorry, I yeah. took up probably a lot more time than. No, no, I, I think that's great. I would love to see you know, see see the city and other municipalities around here join. And join that. I don't want to stay on one thing too long, but um, just I wonder like what potential is for like an awareness campaign because like I mean we're everyone in this room is probably you know interested in this and everything, but to get people who like agree with it but just don't know about it. I mean kind of like doing the dark sky idea during migration and everything. There was just like Earth Hour at the end of March and everything and very few people know about that. I was like blowing up all my neighbors to turn off your lights and I was like, I can see you didn't turn them off yet. Well what you know one of the one of the obligations we have if 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 this if this is approved um, is um, it, there's going to be there has to be a big celebration. So officials come from the U.S. government, and we have to get our mayor and all of the you know different uh, you know important people in the area. And we have to have a big um, a big uh, ceremony to declare um, Kalamazoo as Urban Verge Pretty City. Um, so you know we will let people know. Like I said, I really yeah. want to engage. It's, I've just schools. been seeing like more like national ad council type things, and I mean. Cause, book weed recreational and everything there's like a whole bunch of advocacy against that about not driving buzzed or whatever but I mean like if you put we're a tree city or we're a bird city and like this is what you can do or like vote on this day or tell your like Mayor Anderson or you know just getting the information out there like if we're gonna be a bird treaty thing I wish there was like a place that you know you pass the big Kalamazoo sign or whatever, and then there's like, oh, Bird City. Right. Well, we could, we could, you know, have some of those um, banner things, you know, because we are a tree city. So you see the signs like. They're like city. hidden behind stop signs. Yeah. Like, yeah. I see the no parking regulation before I see like the. Well, we're gonna have we're gonna have bigger bird signs oh. than those tree signs. <laughs> okay. So we'll 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 get the word out there somehow. All right, uh, we need to talk about our meeting schedule finally for the rest of the year. And we need, uh, I kind of didn't review that, that email from the city clerk's office. We need uh, a motion and uh, a vote on uh, where we're gonna hold our meetings for the rest of the, for the, rest of the year, correct? Okay. Right, so is there a motion to continue um, holding our meetings in person here in the community room. Or, or let's discuss it first, I suppose, before we uh, before we would motion to open the discussion. Yeah. Right, right. So second. I, okay. I assume we would be able to go in there if we have an overflow of people for anything. Would we have the option of using like we had in the past? City like chambers. We went there when we had dozens of people. Yeah. So I don't see I don't see why we couldn't request that specifically if we knew something big was happening. 
and I, I think the, as needed. Yeah, I think the the purpose of getting something um, formal for the clerk's office is for their records purposes, and then if we are doing live stream and Zoom, they like to have like location and et cetera in the case that you decide to come personally versus virtually. That's probably one of the main drivers, so it's not like we weren't, we're not allowed to go elsewhere. Because, for example, during um, elections, we moved to a conference room when they needed this for counting. So that was like five years ago, but right. <laughs> we right. did it. Right. So I would say it would be okay. So in theory, it's fair to say room stands, but in the need of any yeah. I'm good with as long as we're able to keep them streaming, and it seems to be working great yeah. right now. Uh, yeah, because I, I think it really helps our community engagement along. But uh, I imagine it's mostly driven by like Open Meetings Act. All right, so is there a motion to um, hold the remainder of our meetings for this year uh, in person with streaming um, and the ability for citizens to call in um, during the meeting? Okay, all in favor? All opposed? Unanimous. We'll continue to hold our meetings uh, here for the rest of the year. Um, annual meeting schedule, new membership. Um, we already kind of discussed, we do have one open seat. Um, Wayne's last meeting will most likely be in July. So uh, August, the next person will be taken in August, so we'll have two open seats um, for sure. Um, so if you know of anybody um, that is interested in uh, joining the city committee and might have some expertise in some environmental uh, issue, let, let them know. We don't really have any active uh, applications. So, If I can say, this would be the perfect time to reset whatever priorities for um, who gets nominated because originally I had advocated for whoever turns things in just because that's what I went through. <laughs> but at the same time, it could be a vote. It could be, the, the debate is more relevant now, mm -hmm. I would say. So just wanted to throw it out there at some point, whether it's first come, first serve, the, what the person brings to the table, mm -hmm. uh, again, at least worth the debate now. Yeah, does anybody have any? Well, I know any? that it was talked about before, where it makes sense to kind of bet a little differently. I don't know if that was final decision made on it but no not necessarily we've just kind of whatever applications we have at a given time when there's been an open seat we've just called all those folks in and not necessarily gone in or I think we have kind of gone in order uh, just by coincidentally um, not necessarily um, not necessarily based on a you know their, their interview or their particular expertise yeah, my only thoughts is, uh, yeah, obviously expertise or like some general interest in environmentalism is good. Um, personally, I'd like to see us a little bit more representative of the city because I think we have like neighborhoods that are pretty heavily represented here. Um, and so I think not doing first come first serve might be valuable and 
All right, well, let's kind of keep talking about it and we'll see where things go if we actually get some applications to, to you know, apply a conversation to. All right, uh, looking at. I can't remember how long the Zoom set up for. It's good. Okay. okay. Thank you. So, yeah, let's get through subcommittee reports quickly. Um, it's 553. And then at the end, um, we can uh, take a list and see if anybody else uh, called in with any anybody's waiting. Um, I can read a few little comments from the Facebook. Oh, do you? Yeah. Awesome. Great. Um, all right. NFP Review Board. Uh, Bobby is not here this week. He did, and I, I didn't mention that. Joe Bauer uh, is an unexcused absence, and Bobby has an excused absence. Uh, Bobby Glasser. Joe was hoping, I think, to join by uh, join remotely, but that's not an option right now. So, um, so nothing from Bobby on NFP Review Board. Um, air and water quality. I missed the last. Um, I missed the last Odor Task Force uh, meeting because I had to work. Uh, I am planning on going to the next meeting uh, in person because um, I've had a hard time with the. Uh, Zoom calls with that. So hopefully everybody will kind of be there in the same room um, to review their um, odor monitoring data collection from the City of Kalamazoo, the Water Reclamation Plant, and uh, representatives from Graphic Packaging um, to see where they're at with that. I'm hopeful that um, the city will get started. I don't know if you've heard anything about that. I'm hopeful that the city will get started this summer um, with the project to uh, reroute um, the uh, outflow, yeah, uh, uh, in the, that junction chamber of uh, the that foul water coming coming from graphic packaging. Well, it's already there. I was just right driving on that street yesterday. Yeah, it's foul. It's very foul. Okay, I, w the city was waiting for graphic packaging to finish their um, expansion project um, because they, you know, they had so many uh, contractors and they had to wait for them to clear out before the city could go in and do their their project. But keep my fingers crossed the city can get to that this summer because that was the plan. A um, couple of other things. There is the last headline that I saw says a uh, judge is allowing a federal air pollution lawsuit to move forward against graphic packaging. Now, I think it's graphic packaging and the city that is named that lawsuit. Is that right? Anybody? I, I can't remember. Um, but so it, that's still moving forward, whether or not that ends up go, going anywhere. You know? Yeah, at this point, that, that is still um, happening. Um, you had mentioned there was, uh, um, with graphic packaging, the city commission uh, at their meeting on Monday um, uh, reject. I'm not exactly sure what the vote, what the technical language of the vote was, but sort of rejected the idea of a, a community benefits agreement um, with graphic packaging um, in the hopes that they would 
somehow I, I I read the article, but it, it just simply didn't go through. And so I don't I think graphic packaging kind of has to go back to the drawing board and kind of rearrange whatever community benefits agreement they were. They put together a proposal to. and the people were like, no. This I, I think it didn't allow it forego a lot of responsibility. So a lot of people were with that. Yeah. yeah. Um, choice. The last piece, Bobby Glasser shared this with me. There is a new map on um, the city webs or the state website. There's an environmental justice map. It's a draft Michigan environmental justice screening tool. Um, and I can share, yes, it's that middle one. Should take you to that link. So if you scroll down, there's a web app that should open. Click on that web app. Yeah. So you're able to click on um, a given area of the state, and it should give you, yeah. area yeah I mean it's not a big surprise looking at this area the blue are better scores the kind of beige or what color is that the darker red are are worse scores and all the worst scores correlate with the, you know the most urban the most urban area see this makes more sense than the the website that the gentleman had that we you had me do a deep dive on yeah understand yeah this correlates much more right but that was like that was I think more specific information I think this is like a pile of different data points okay all kind of um, uh, all kind of aggregated. Right. Yeah. Do you know what kinds of data points you're going into? Like no, I haven't really. I like I said, I haven't done a, a super deep dive on all the different data that uh, goes into this map. Will be graphics mm -hmm. right about here. Yeah. Water reclamation so plan. Dark red area is basically back here. Or Okay. Mm -hmm. So where is that where the flooding or what was the green space project that people wanted to keep from getting turned into a Lake Street? Just the same. Oh, area. Yeah. No. Uh, oh, no. Lake Street is south here. Further south. Yeah. So it's further in the red area. Is what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. In that kind of yeah darker red or purple area. So it's interesting that the darker thread also correlates with a lot of flooding. That's what I'm saying, basically. Yeah. Yeah. 
So, and I'm not sure how this map, how the state map, yeah, I'm not sure how the state map corresponds with, yeah, that's right. Yeah, right here. It was, yeah, right in that. Because there is a federal environmental justice map tool also, so I'm not sure how those two, how these two maps correlate, but I just wanted to share that. Bobby shared it with me. Out there so everybody can see it. Obviously, it still says that it's in draft, so I'm sure that they're they're you know adding adding data as they as they collect it. So that's that. Uh, hopefully, I'll have a, a update uh, next month for you on the next order task force next order task force meeting. Um, what's next? Wildlife and natural resource protection. Gail, did you have anything else for us? No, I don't. No, okay. Uh, waste management, Sharon. Um, I mean that event, and the city got back to me that Wendy, who is pretty much in charge of the recycling in general, uh, um, is game. taking over okay. um, the EPS. So uh, the people I've been organizing with are going to get her everything she needs for that. Um, so I got an answer for Cindy continuing that. I mean, it's been already published the next dates and everything, but right. um, they're officially. But there's like a permanent that. city staff that will now be in yeah. charge of that. Program. Great, great job, job, Sharon. Yeah. Good job. Yeah. Uh, Ian, have you heard anything from the Planning Commission? That's the meeting, sorry. Okay. Uh, Gail, what's new with the Tree Committee? Do okay. they have uh, everybody, and any more talk about a tree ordinance? No. Okay. No. Um, yeah, I don't know that. But I do have results from the tree inventory. Okay. If you would like me to share those. So, um, so the tree inventory was done uh, between June and September 2021, last year, by... Um, Davy Resource Group. And so these um, looked at trees that were in the city rights of way, the curb lawns, not, not trees in city parks, but the curb lawn trees. And so there's data from um, just like my, my notes just all of a sudden don't make any sense to me. Um, uh, so the data was compared to um, 2021, uh, oh, compared to data from a 2001 survey. Oh, I see what I, I see what I did. Okay. Um, so uh, I inverted my numbers. I'm like 2012. Where did that come from? Okay. So so um, so compared to the survey from 20 years ago, um, there are far fewer trees, more vacant sites meaning vacant sites for a tree, and more stumps in 2021 compared to 2001. So to put some numbers to that, in 2001, there were approximately 26,000 trees. In 2021, there were 22,000 trees. Um, and last year, there were 12,000 vacant sites for trees. And 20 years ago, there were 4,700 vacant sites for trees. And, and many more stumps, like 800 stumps compared to 134 stumps. So a high proportion of the, the trees that we have are also in the mature and maturing class of trees, and they're at higher risk for failure and are 
candidates for removal or pruning. So even though we have fewer trees, more, a higher proportion of them really are either going to senesce or should be taken out because they are failing because of their mature age. So there's a lot fewer younger trees, fewer younger trees, if that makes sense, mm -hmm. Few, fewer young trees to take over these older mature trees. Um, so if you look at the proportion of the number of trees that we have over the number of tree spots available, um, we are 62% stocked. So, um, so right now there are about 2,800 trees that are recommended for removal because of their age or their condition. Um, and so about 17,500 17, trees are needed over the next seven years to achieve 100% stocking, which means that they need to plant 2,500 trees a year. So last year, I think they planted 200 trees. Okay. Um, I was just about to ask. So, um, so I think that was it was about 200 trees that the city planted in the fall. So um, the recommendation from the um, Davy Resource Group was to prioritize removals and pruning based on risk. Um, pruning trees, particularly based on risk, should be a priority. Um, diversify the tree planting because um, right now there are a majority of um, maples are, are overrepresented, which they were 20 years ago. Um, but the top, there's a, not a lot of diversity in the tree population. So many of them are maples, 43% uh, are maple in the city. Um, caring for old mature trees pays dividends. So if you can prune some of these older trees, you may get some um, more safer, decreased risk life out of them. And uh, to consider establishing a risk management inspection protocol and regular reassessment of trees. So anyway, that was my kind of my take-home notes that I I jotted down during the session. Does that also include the space and trees planted on Western on Western campus as well? No, this does not include campus. I mean, campus is its own entity. Um, so this is just trees that are in the city curb lawn. I'm not mistaken. So you said 200 were planted last year. I, I believe it was 200-ish. And the, the current draft of the sustainability plan shoots for 500 per year. So that's a, a little bit of a deficit from the recommendation. So the, so so if you want to catch up in seven years, yeah. you got to plant 2,500 trees a year, which is which is which is a huge, which is a lot of trees. They're going to be doing nothing but planting trees. But then you also have to consider not only do they need to plant the trees, they need to water the trees, you know, and take care of the trees and protect the trees as they're growing because there's no sense in planting them. And then we have a really hot, dry summer. And, you know, if they're not watered, they're, they're going to die. And what constitutes a tree? Is it a sapling? Is it like how big does it need to be? Well, we didn't get into that Anything, detail. But yeah. the, the trees that they were planting in the fall were pretty good caliber trees. Well, the um, they weren't just whips. They're they're pretty good size. The ones in our neighborhood are at least all the same. Yeah, and they're they've got like a diameter of of a couple inches. So yeah, and they're pretty tall. Also, as a community sustainability plan, that was listed more on the aspirational aspect of it. Thank you. So. That's a very important thing that I think 
Yeah. So, I mean, it's just, it's a good, um, I think, uh, just information to, to, to be able to put some um, numbers to this. It's like, this, this is where we stand now. You know, these are, these are the data. This is what it is. And, and it also addresses, you know, where in the city are the trees needed the most? You know where where because this is just an overall snapshot, but I don't know based on this. There where, is some mapping in the current draft of the sustainability plan on like high need areas with like heat island effects. Right. And, and so you know that's that could be all part of the resiliency plan. Is like not only are these trees needed, but you know are they needed more in certain neighborhoods which I, I i think they are i'm pretty sure the nature center also put on somewhat recently in the last few years um a presentation on tree canopy coverage or somewhere yeah there. yeah jessica and, simmons yeah and that showed which ones were the higher needs and i think the city went off of their 200 trees based off of the three neighborhoods that needed it the most but clearly that's not enough um but there is plenty of mapping locally that's done for where we, yeah where we need things yeah so it probably all does um, dovetail. It's like you know, we're getting similar information from multiple mm -hmm. sources. So anyway, that's what I have on trees. And the tree committee hasn't met uh, in a while. There just hasn't been a um, anything on the agenda. So that's all I have. Right. Uh, hey, it was good, good to, to see you. you. Okay. Jim, see you next month, hopefully. All right. Uh, Sharon, have you been to the Asylum yep. Lake uh, Management Council? Yep, real quick. Um, then things coming up uh, May 7th and May 14th, there's going to be two ses sessions each Saturday for garlic mustard pools. Sign up on AsylumLakePreservationAssociation.org. Um, May 7th and May 14th, 10 a.m. to noon and 1 p.m. to 3 p.m. You can sign up for any of those four sessions and they'll have all the things needed there um, to do that. Okay. Uh, Rob, you've been to Parks and Rec lately. Uh, they actually canceled my last one. I couldn't make quorum for care. Yeah. Actually. They are looking for a new director of Parks and Rec. Okay. I think that's been done by the city manager's office, so they're looking for applicants right now. They're doing it higher level. Okay. And uh, the Adopt the Parks program is still successful. It's beginning to take off again with the spring, and they're adding more benches and plantings and everything. So. Uh, we heard from Jean uh, last time in the Wellhead Protection Program. Um, Nicole said you haven't heard from the Kalamazoo River Watershed Council, and I'm hoping to hit the next order task force meeting. So, do we have um, do we have any callers on the line? I can briefly no pressure. I can briefly read the comments while setting that up. Um, just a couple ones. One person talking about microplastics as they affect bird populations. Somebody asked how to become a falconer, but somebody else helped them out. Um, be Joyful said they'd be interested in hosting a bird presentation of some kind. And then that is a store on, on the mall. A store on the yeah. mall that's like a okay. zero waste store. Right. And then uh, the same person said that they'd have interest in learning about ECC membership. Oh, great. Great. Okay. 
Awesome. No comments. No comments. Can you respond to that person and let them know sure. uh, that you know they can check the city website and put, put application in. Description them to email me too, so I can kind of harangue them. Okay. I'll talk to the uh, the be joyful people. I was just actually there today to buy yeah. dental floss, but they were out. Um, <laughs> so they're like in Falcon, you know, Falcon Central. Oh yeah. Um, I'll I'll drop in and say, hey, let's talk about Perkinsville. Cool. Yeah. And they got another location opening up in Ann Arbor, so yeah. maybe get them on board. Okay. All right. Any other comments for the good of the order? Um, I do have an update. It's the Jack Combs walkway and Ampercy are the target zones for our river cleanup this Saturday starting at 10 noon. You can post on the city's website and sign up if you're interested. Okay. So, thank you. Uh, just quick thoughts on the sustainability plan. Um, so just a reminder, we're still in public comment period. People can contact us, city commissioners or city staff if they know who they're looking for. Um, Aaron said the next meeting is a week from today, virtual town hall. Uh, they're talking about priorities within the plan, not so much changing the plan at that meeting. Um, and then our next PCC meeting, we're going to be talking about how we're approaching it. Uh, I've officially read the whole thing, so if anybody feels like talking about it or whatever. That's uh, we've been pretty quiet about our thoughts, but I think that would be because. Yeah, we didn't talk much about it today. Uh, Jamie McCarthy is expected to be back here next month to present kind of a final draft of the sustainability plan. Um, and uh, hopefully we would have uh, a recommendation uh, ready to, to discuss the plan on uh, drafting recommendation. Anybody else is welcome to draft a recommendation um, too. Um, but I plan on, on drafting a recommendation for us to discuss and wordsmith and argue about um, uh, uh, for next next month, hopefully. And then the sustainability plan would uh, ideally go to the city commission in uh, June. Anything else? All right, meeting is adjourned. Thanks, everybody. Thanks. <laughs> this is going to a <laughs> I know. <laughs> I thought that was the regular time. <laughs>